Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. And uh, it's our, our last night of conference. And uh, God has been, been speaking and doing some great things. And, and I'm so excited that you're here tonight. And I believe that God's going to speak to us. And uh, are you ready to hear a message from God's Word tonight? You go ahead and find a seat. And uh, I wanted to say uh, a couple things before I start preaching tonight. Um, first of all, I wanted to thank our worship team for um, the hours and hours and hours of practice and preparation that went into this weekend, but also um, just all of the hours of preparation going to writing these songs and recording this album, and, and all the glory goes to God, and they know that. Uh, but I just want to thank them for um, all of the work that they put in and the time and energy invested into, into making these songs. And, and I also wanted to thank one uh, special individual um, who just spent uh, countless hours and hours and hours and hours uh, recording and mixing uh, these songs for iTunes. And that is Sam Vesa. And he did an amazing job. So I just want to thank our worship team and and uh, we love you guys we're so thankful for what God is doing through you and uh, the future is bright and it's not just a cliche the best is yet to come and uh, we believe God's going to do some great things and we believe that these songs are going to influence a generation and uh, we believe that he wants to to speak to people through song and so thank you so much for all of your work and I wanted to thank you also uh, last week most of you know that our family had a scare And uh, we were we were a little bit nervous. Uh, Katie went to the hospital, and and uh, she was bleeding internally. And the doctors were able to diagnose that somewhat quickly. And uh, uh, we we had a surgery, and uh, the surgery went well. Praise the Lord! But thank you so much for praying, and uh, thank you so much for all of your, your love and support. And we felt so uh, uh, we felt so loved and uh, cared about during this season. And I'm happy that my wife Katie is in the building tonight. She's in the back. So thank you so much for praying, and if you'd continue to pray for her, uh, she's rebuilding her blood count and uh, uh, getting stronger, and we believe that she's going to make a, a great recovery. And so uh, if you have a Bible tonight, you can go ahead and grab it, and uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter number 4. If you have a Bible, would you say Amen. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight for a few minutes. And uh, we'll start reading in verse number 1. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen? The Bible says this in Acts chapter 4, verse number 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. 
being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, everybody say the midst. They asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, watch this, verse 10, be it known. He says, I'm going to make this known. Be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Let's have a word of prayer together tonight. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the uh, amazing uh, time that we've already had together at this conference. Lord, thank you for the messages that we've heard from uh, various speakers, and God, thank you for speaking to our hearts, and God, I pray that for the next few minutes we would be able to uh, eliminate any distractions or any thoughts in our minds that might be weighing us down. God, I pray that you would just uh, illuminate this text for us tonight. God, I pray that we can have a clear understanding of, uh, of what this text means and why it applies to our lives, and God, I pray that you would uh, fill me with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would give me the words to say that uh, can be challenging and edifying for us tonight, and God, I pray that uh, we can leave this room tonight with, with a spirit of confidence and uh, a spirit of courage to make the gospel known in our cities and in our communities. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. How many of you have ever felt like your privacy was being invaded? Anybody like that? Your privacy was being invaded? I remember when I was in elementary school, my family moved into a new home, and the previous owner had installed an intercom system in the house. And so it was kind of cool. In the kitchen, there was like this hub base uh, intercom. And in all of the other rooms, you, you had this intercom system. And so you could press a button and talk and speak to all the different rooms. And there was this really cool feature on the, on the kitchen unit that if you pressed uh, certain buttons, you could actually listen to what was taking place in some of the other rooms. And so uh, I, as the youngest child, found that very helpful uh, certain times in my life. And, and I remember one particular occasion, my sisters were up in their room, and I decided that I would uh, listen in on them a little bit. Bit and and uh, I just couldn't believe it. And you'd be so shocked to hear that they were talking actually about how they were annoyed with me. And uh, I was a little bit offended by that. And I ran in there. I burst it through the door. And I was like, as you were saying, excuse me, you know. And, uh, and uh, they, they were caught off guard a little bit. And uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like in a social media uh, world that we live in, I feel like our privacy is being invaded sometimes. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but they are listening to us, right? Instagram and Facebook, they say they're not but they are listening to us, right? And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was telling my wife, Katie, I said, man, I need, to, I need to work on my posture a little bit. I need to stand up straighter. I don't, I, I don't need to be slouching. I need to stand up straighter. And sure enough, about an hour later, I got an ad on my Instagram feed that said, here's a posture corrector. And I'm like, how did you know? stop listening to me? This is creeping me out. And uh, the other day, uh, I saw an ad on Instagram that really caught my attention. And uh, so much so that I took a took a screenshot of it, and I wanted to 
show it to us tonight. It says this uh, on this ad. It was an ad for Converse shoes, and it says this, make your presence known. Make your presence known. And I thought about that in the context of this conference, and I was thinking that the truth is, is that is the message that our culture is constantly bombarding us with. Hey, hey, make your presence known. Hey, 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 make your platform bigger. Hey, make a name for yourself. Let people know about you. But I want to tell you tonight that long before you were ever born, that God created you with a purpose and a calling. And that calling and that purpose is not to make your presence known. That calling is to make his presence known, to declare his wonders among the people, to declare his word to the nations, to make him known. That is our calling. That is our purpose in life, to glorify the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. To make him known. It's not about us. It's all about him. The Bible says this in the book of Psalm 105, uh, chapter 105, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known. Everybody say, make known. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. And I believe it's time that we start having a conversation about the greatness of God. That we start talking about how great God is. That we start talking and speaking about the wondrous works of our God. And start telling our community about how great God is. And start telling our family and our friends and our neighbors about how great God is. We ought to have have the greatness of God continually in our mouth. That we are talking about uh, the wonderful things of God, and, and I was reading that there is this uh, ongoing debate kind of where uh, amongst NFL fans where they're trying to figure out who has the loudest stadium, and, uh, and uh, this debate is kind of between the Seattle Seahawks and the Kansas City Chiefs, and so uh, back in 2013, they actually uh, were recording, and they were trying to figure out who, 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 was, uh, who were the loudest, and the Seahawks, they came in with a record of 137.6 decibels, and they, they broke the record for the loudest NFL stadium, and then, and then the following season, the, the, the Chiefs kingdom, they snatched the title, and uh, they recorded a shattering uh, 142.2 decibels, and so they're constantly competing about who's loudest, and I say that to simply say this, we know how to get loud when we want to. We know how to raise our voice when we need to. We know how to get loud when it's something that bothers us, when it's something that interests us, when it pertains to us. Hey, we know how to get loud, and I believe it's time that the church would get loud for the mission of Jesus and get loud about the gospel message, and I believe it's time that we get loud about the word of God. I love what the Bible says in Mark chapter 2, verse number 1, and uh, Jesus is, is entering into Capernaum, and it says, and again, he entered into Capernaum, and after some days, and watch this, it was noised that he was in the house. It, it was noised that he was in the house, and I love that word in the Greek. It carries the idea to learn by hearing. And so people everywhere were learning about Jesus because they were hearing about Jesus. And so because Jesus was entering into the house, there was this buzz, there was this excitement, there was this uh, uh, buzz, this electricity in the atmosphere. And people everywhere were hearing about Jesus and they were making some noise about Jesus. And I believe it's time in Fontana, California, that we would make some noise for Jesus, that we would uh, raise our voices for Jesus, that, that, that in New York State we would uh, lift high our voices and lift our banner high for Jesus, that uh, Storyline Church in Oakland, that we would uh, lift high the name of Jesus, that we would make some noise for the cause of Jesus Christ. And we come to Acts chapter 4, this, this text that I just read a moment ago, and that's exactly what the early church is doing. They're making some noise for Jesus. The church is flourishing. Uh, great things are happening. And uh, the church is expanding, kind of exploded onto the scene. And uh, really great things are happening. And, and in Acts chapter number 3, we learned that uh, Luke, the, the uh, author of the book of Acts, who is uh, a physician, 
Perhaps more notably, he is a historian, and uh, he provides factual, reliable evidence uh, for, uh, for his documentation. Even, even secular historians respect the writings of Luke. And Luke records this story in Acts chapter number 3, where Peter and John were uh, on their way to the temple in the afternoon around 3 o'clock for a prayer meeting. And uh, this, was their, this was their pattern. This was their routine to go and, and pray. And by the way, that should be our pattern. That should be our routine to, to, to pray to the Lord. And they were coming uh, to pray to the Lord. And as they were uh, approaching the temple, they were passing the gate beautiful. And the gate beautiful truly was a beautiful gate. It was 75 feet tall. And uh, it took about uh, 25 men just to open and close the gate. It was this, this beautiful, massive gate entering into the temple. And there was this man there, this, this crippled man. And uh, uh, as Peter and John are walking uh, up to the temple to go to pray, passing the gate beautiful. They see this man. They kind of lock eyes. The Bible says that Peter uh, fastened his eyes on him. How many of you have ever made some awkward eye contact with anyone before? Anybody like that? And so Peter and John and this crippled man, they kind of had this awkward exchange, eye contact exchange. And, and uh, the crippled man thinks, maybe I'm about to get some money. And, and he was there for a long time. And he's thinking, maybe they're going to uh, give me money. But instead of uh, money, uh, Peter says this, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And so this man who had never walked before, who had never uh, experienced the, that, that strength in his legs, he, he gets up and he starts walking. And it's this amazing scene, this, this, this mirror that took place. In fact, this is the first apostolic miracle, and so uh, everyone is seeing this with wonder, and they are amazed about this. And as you can imagine, there's a, a crowd that's starting to gather, and there's, a, uh, there's this crowd uh, that, that's coming together, and Peter uses this as an opportunity to uh, preach the gospel. Everyone knew about this man, and everyone had seen him crippled. Now that he is walking, he is a living testimony of the power of God. And so Peter is preaching to this crowd, and Peter is preaching uh, the gospel, and he's preaching the resurrection. And all of that happens in Acts chapter 3, and that brings us to Acts chapter number 4. And as we begin Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 1, Peter is still preaching. And uh, he is still going. He's kind of long-winded, and he's still preaching. And this is where uh, our story begins. And I believe tonight that if we're going to make it known, I believe that there are three principles in this text that we must understand tonight. Are you ready tonight? There are three principles that we must understand. Number one, pain often provides our greatest platform. Pain often provides our greatest platform. Would you notice verse number one? And as they spake unto the people, and so as Peter was continuing to preach, he is, he is still preaching. He's still on fire. He's still ready to go. As they spake unto the people, the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And so we have the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. The, uh, the priests were, the, were kind of the religious leaders there. The captain of the temple, he would have been second in command. He was in charge of the temple police. You have the Sadducees. They were the theological liberals. They denied anything miraculous. They denied specifically the resurrection. Uh, they mocked the resurrection. And this uh, group of people was known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a ruling body, about 71 members, and they made religious decisions, and they would bring people in, and they would often evaluate miracles. And it was primarily... Uh, comprised of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and so uh, this was that group. It was somewhat uh, like the uh, Jewish uh, Supreme Court. They, they, they made all of these decisions, and so they come and, uh, and uh, they, they come upon them. Now, this verse changes everything in church history, because up until now, the church had not yet experienced persecution. 
Everything was going great. They, they were preaching and people were getting saved and they had not yet encountered any resistance. But now, after this verse, we know that uh, all the way till present day, the church has experienced persecution and the church has experienced resistance. And this is something that, that Peter was learning firsthand in Acts chapter number four. And it's interesting because this is something that he writes about later uh, in 1 Peter chapter four when he says this in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And Peter said this, hey, if you're going to make it known, if you're going to reach out and try to uh, follow God's will with your life, just know that resistance is coming. Don't be surprised by the pain. Don't be surprised by the opposition that comes your way because that is par for the course. That is to be expected. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so uh, they come upon them. Now, uh, I want you to see their irritation in verse number two. It says this, being grieved that they taught the people. And so we can read that verse and think they were grieved and we can think, oh man, they were a little bit bummed out about that, and they were kind of grieved, you know, like, I'm grieved about that, I'm, I'm praying about that, I'm, I'm worried about that, but that is not what the word means. In the Greek, it carries the idea of mental anguish. They, they were extremely irritated, they were infuriated, they were upset, they, they were grieved, and, and watch what they were so irritated, watch what they were so upset about, that they taught the people. What were they so upset about that they taught the people? It was about what they spoke. It does not say that they were upset that they healed the man. It does not say that they were upset about the healing. It doesn't say that they were upset about the good deed that they did to that crippled man. Why? Because people generally don't get offended by serving. They get offended by speaking. Nobody cares if our church is going to go. Nobody's going to get offended if we go and feed the homeless. They're going to say that's a good thing. But it's when we start declaring and preaching the unadulterated truth of the gospel, that is when offense starts to take place. And so uh, generally people don't get upset about serving. It's about the speaking. And they, they taught the people and they, they preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Notice the next verse, verse number three. And they laid hands on them. Now, in case you're kind of not following the narrative, they did not lay their hands on them to pray for them in that moment, okay? They, they, they laid their hands on them to put them into prison, and they put uh, them in hold until the next day, and for it was now eventide. That meant it was about 6 o'clock in the evening, and so this was about three hours uh, had taken place from when the, the crippled man was healed, and so they put them into prison. And I find it interesting that nowhere in this passage does it tell us that Peter and John fought back. Peter doesn't draw his sword and chop someone's ear off. John doesn't start throwing punches. They said, no, you know what? If this is God's will for us to experience this pain, then so be it. And I believe that it's when we learn to embrace our pain that God will begin to expand our platform. And it's when we learn to say, okay, if this suffering is what God wants, then so be it. I'll embrace this pain. Then God will start to expand our platform and give us opportunities that we never thought were possible. Because notice what happens in the next verse. In verse number four, it says this, how be it. And I love that word, how be it. Even though this bad thing was happening, even though they came upon them to arrest them for pre preaching the truth of the gospel, many of them which heard the word believed in the number of the men, and that word men is gender specific in the New Testament, meaning it's just talking about the men, was about 5,000 because that was just the men. Many commentators say it could have been 10,000 people that responded uh, to the invitation, that responded to the gospel message. Imagine the craziness of this scene as Peter is in handcuffs being carried away to prison. There are 10,000 people that say, wow, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in Jesus, and I believe this message, and they are responding now to the invitation. I want to tell you tonight that if you are going through pain, if you are experiencing some sort of opposition, if you are experiencing some sort of persecution, just know that pain is often our greatest platform, and it's through that pain that God wants to give us opportunities that we would never have. And God said, hey, I still have a plan in the midst of pain, and I still want to do great things in the midst of pain, and watch what I can do in the midst of this difficulty. 
See, resistance is simply a prerequisite for revival. We will never experience revival if we're not willing to endure the resistance. And, and so here we see that, uh, that they were irritated. And I want you to see uh, in verse number 5, I want you to see the intimidation. Notice what it says here. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at, at Jerusalem and they, when they had set them in the midst. And so you have this 71 uh, ruling body of the Sanhedrin. And the next day they bring Peter and John in and uh, they, they put them in the midst. And this would have been an intimidating situation because now they're right in the middle of the opposition. Have you ever felt like you were right in the middle of opposition? That you were right in the middle of a difficulty? That you were right in the middle of resistance? And here they are and they are surrounded by difficulty. They find themselves in the midst in this intimidating situation. Speaking of what God did for Israel in the Old Testament, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, verse number 10, he found in him a desert land and in the wasteland and a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And so even when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and even when they were wandering and far from God, that, that even when they were surrounded by their difficulty, our God loves us so much that he encircled them and he surrounded them in their difficulty. And just know that when you are in the midst of pain, when you are in the midst of difficulty, when you are in the midst of discouragement, that your God loves you so much that he wants to surround your struggle. He wants to surround you in your pain. And, he, and we worship a God that will never leave us and never forsake us. And so uh, there was this irritation from the Sanhedrin. They were so mad that Peter and John were, were preaching uh, this message. They were so upset about the, that the things that they were saying, and they put them in this intimidating situation. I want you to see in verse number seven, it says, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked. And so we see uh, this uh, irritation this intimidation, and now we're going to see an interrogation because by what power or by what name have you done this? And what a question. They said, how did this happen? This crippled man that was healed, tell, tell us by what power, by what authority, by, by what name have you done this? And they, they ask this question. There's this interrogation, and this is an amazing open door to preach the gospel. Did you know that if Peter and John wanted to set up a meeting to preach before the Sanhedrin, it would not have been possible. If they, if they wanted to say, hey, man, we should go and have a revival. We should go and speak to our, our leaders, and we should go and we should preach the gospel to the Sanhedrin, they couldn't have done it. But here, because of the opposition, God opened an opportunity that they would never, never would have experienced otherwise. See, God has a way of opening doors that would often remain shut if we did not go through the pain uh, to get to the platform. And so by what power or by what name have you done this? And so now they're experiencing uh, this, this pain, but because of the pain, now they have a platform. And, and they were saying, you need to stop speaking. You need to stop preaching about Jesus. And, and what does Peter do? He says, okay, but I got one more message in me. And he says, let me, let me go ahead and preach a little, bit, a little bit more. And so we have to understand tonight that, that that pain is often our greatest platform. And I just want to say this, 2019, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be discouragement. But allow God to use that pain to expand your platform, to give you influence, to reach your community, to reach your circle of influence. Pain is actually a platform. It's what God wants to use uh, to expand our influence. And so pain is often our greatest platform. Are you still with me tonight? Yeah. Number two, our mission is to magnify his message. 
our mission is to magnify his message. Now, Peter and John in this moment, they're surrounded by difficulty. They're in the midst. They're being interrogated. It would have been very easy for Peter and John to kind of minimize the gospel message in this moment. It would have been very easy for Peter and John to say, you know what? Okay, we're going to tone it down just a little bit. Uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of just be quiet for a little bit. We don't want to uh, uh, cause any more trouble, and we'll kind of just go to a different city, and we'll preach the gospel there, and we'll kind of just, we'll kind of just minimize it. And we're living in a generation of Christianity where followers of Jesus are not magnifying the gospel message. They are minimizing the gospel message because we're afraid of stepping on people's toes. We, we want to make sure that we're not being offensive. And so instead of magnifying the message and making it known, we're minimizing it. And I want to tell you tonight that it's not our job as followers of Jesus to make the gospel more palatable. It's our job to make the gospel more prominent. It's our, God, it's our job to make the message known. And so, and so it's our, our mission is to magnify his message. And I want you to see a few things about this message because if we're going to make it known, that's what this conference theme has been. If we're going to make it known, we've got to know what the message is and what we're making known. Notice verse number eight. Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. And so I want you to see three things about this message. First of all, it was an empowered message. It was empowered. How could Peter have the boldness and the confidence to stand before the Sanhedrin who were judging him and become their judge. How, how did Peter have this kind of confidence, this kind of boldness to stand before them? He was filled with the Holy Ghost. Hey, we know what Peter could do on his own. It's interesting that in this passage it tells us that a man that was there was named Caiaphas, a part of the Sanhedrin, because Peter is now boldly preaching and he's boldly declaring to Caiaphas the truth of the gospel. Because just a few months earlier, Peter was at the house of Caiaphas. And there, there was a servant girl, there was a teenage girl that said, Hey, I think, Peter, I think I recognize you. Weren't you with Jesus? And Peter said, No, that wasn't me. Peter said, Ah, that's not me. He gets so upset that he starts cursing. See, that was Peter without the Holy Spirit. We've seen Peter without the Holy Spirit, but now because of the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter is able to stand before this intimidating crowd, and he is able to stand before the Sanhedrin and say, hey, Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, and Peter now has this confidence and this boldness to make it known. Why? Because it was an empowered message. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, and I want to tell you that if we're going to change our city, if we're going to change our communities, if we're going to make it known, hey, we cannot do it in our own strength. We've got to be empowered empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and we've got to go in his name, in his strength, and not our own. It's got to be an empowered message. That's where the power comes from. If we go out on our own, we're going to fail every time. We're going to be like Peter at Caiaphas's house and saying, that's not me, that's not me. But now that he's got the Holy Spirit, he's like, Caiaphas, you killed Jesus. That's boldness. This was an empowered message. And I love what Jesus said before he was crucified in Luke chapter number 12. In Luke 12, he says this. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, it's almost as if Jesus knew this was going to happen. He says, well, hey, when they bring you before the rulers, take you no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. He's like, don't be overly concerned about what you're going to say. Yeah, we've got to be prepared to give an answer, but don't let it consume you. Don't be so anxious about this. Why? For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. There is power with the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he will give us 
give us the words to say. He will open doors of opportunity. And so this message that we have, that we're trying to make it known, it's an empowered message. Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to see that this was also an emphatic message. Notice what it says in verse number 9. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, Peter's like, hey, if you're talking about us, this healing with the crippled man, this is what we're talking about. By what means he is made whole, be it known. I just love that. He said, I'm going to make it known. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel. I'm going to tell everybody. It's not a secret. I'm not trying to hide this. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. He says it was by the power and the name of Jesus. And remember, part of the Sanhedrin were the Sadducees. They were the liberal theologians that denied anything miraculous. They denied the angels. They denied the demons. But they specifically denied the resurrection. They believed it was laughable. It was impossible. And here Peter is preaching the resurrection. And I believe that this is important for us to note. This is so emphatic, this this message that we have. And F.F. Bruce, he said this, It is particularly striking that neither on this nor on any subsequent occasion, so far as our information goes, did the Sanhedrin take any serious action to disprove the apostles' central affirmation, the resurrection of Jesus. Had it seemed possible to refute them on this point, how readily would the Sanhedrin have seized the opportunity? Had they succeeded, how quickly and completely the new movement would have collapsed? See, they could not repudiate the resurrection. They couldn't say anything against it. And he's saying, hey, if they could disprove it, they would have brought it up, but they couldn't. And see, that is where uh, the power of our message lies. We, we believe uh, in a resurrected Jesus, that he conquered the grave. This is, uh, this is the reliability of the resurrection event, and this changes everything. Without the resurrection, our faith collapses. The resurrection is not a component to our faith. It is the very center of our faith. And this was the message that Peter was boldly proclaiming. This is what he was making emphatic. Hey, Jesus rose again from the dead and I want to tell you today that we worship a savior who is alive and well he conquered sin he conquered death he conquered the grave we worship a resurrected savior tonight and he continues his message in verse number 11 he says this this is the stone which was set at not of you builders which has become the head of the corner and here he's quoting an old testament passage referring to the coming messiah and there were hundreds of prophecies concerning the coming messiah and this particular uh, quotation is from psalm 118 verse number 22 that says the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner and when they were doing building projects in this culture they would have cornerstones sometimes the cornerstones for massive buildings were 38 feet wide they, they, they were these massive stones and if there was any imperfections in the stone they would they would reject the stone and say hey this is this is not good enough we need a different one and so uh, here in this prophetic message about the coming messiah it says that that the stone was rejected, and we know that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not, and they rejected him. But then it says that it's become the head of the corner. Now, now how can a stone that was rejected become the cornerstone? How can a stone that was not good enough become the cornerstone? And this verse is speaking about the wonderful truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because even though Jesus was res- even though Jesus was rejected, he was resurrected. And so that is why he is the cornerstone. And this is the foundation of our faith. This is what the Bible talks about in Ephesians 2.20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What looked like a great defeat. It was rejected. 
turned out to be the greatest victory the world has ever seen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this message that Peter is preaching, it's, it's an emphatic message. It, it has the reliability and the historicity of a valid resurrection that no man could disprove, that even the Sanhedrin didn't bring it up because they knew that it happened. And so this was an emphatic message, but I want you to see that now it's an exclusive message. Notice what it says in verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, hey, it's not in any other name but the name of Jesus. In Jesus alone, there is salvation. And so this is an exclusive message. Back in the 1950s, the United States uh, set on, on these operations to go to the South Pole, to go to Ant Antarctica. And uh, these research expeditions and these uh, uh, adventures, you could say, were known as Operation Deep Freeze. And uh, they would go there and explore and and uh, while in Operation Deep Freeze Number 4, there was a group of men, there were 16 individuals that on, in their own spare time, they decided they were going to build a church there at the South Pole. And uh, so they constructed this little tiny uh, structure, and they called this building the Chapel of All Faith. And um, inside this little building, there was an altar, and there was a picture of Jesus, and, and uh, uh, of Buddha, and there was a crucifix, and a Star of David. And the inscription on the wall read this, Now it can be said that the earth turns on the point of faith. And this was their message. Hey, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. And this is the message that our culture is constantly uh, spreading into uh, our minds, that saying, hey, as long as you have a little bit of faith, it doesn't really matter the content of your faith, as long as you have some faith, it doesn't really matter what you believe, as long as you believe. And that is exactly opposite of what Peter says in verse number 12. He says, no, 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 no. It's not in the name of Buddha. It's not in the name of Muhammad. It's in the name of Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's always been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. That is our message. And so this was an empowered message. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was an emphatic message. Hey, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is an exclusive message because it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can have salvation. And so our mission today, in 2019, our mission, it's to magnify his message. That's why we're here. We're here to give glory to our creator, to give glory to God, and more disciples gives God more glory. It's our mission to magnify his message. Number three tonight. Do you have one more in you? Number three. Your courage matters more than your credentials. Your courage matters more than your credentials. Notice verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. By the way, what a compliment. Would it be said of us that when people notice us, man, that person really loves Jesus. That person really talks about Jesus. But they saw their boldness, but they were so surprised that they were so bold and so confident because they were unlearned and ignorant men. That meant that they were not formally trained in the rabbinical law. They were not formally trained in the, in the Old Testament law. They didn't have this higher education, this special training. And so they said, man, these guys don't even have the right credentials. How can they be so courageous? But it's because your credentials don't matter as much as your courage. See, your level of skill matters far less than your level of surrender. 
It's not about how skilled we are, how, how much education we have, or what talent we have. It's about uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the confidence that he can give us. And so our courage is uh, more important than our credentials. And they, they were surprised at this. These are unlearned and ignorant men. The world thinks that what we're doing is foolish. Richard, Richard Dawkins said this, I'm against Christianity because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. Hey, Christians, they, they don't really understand the world. They kind of just make believe. Just They don't believe in science and all these di- different things. They, they believe that what we do is foolish. What we believe is foolish. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross to, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Hey, it doesn't matter what kind of background you have, what kind of uh, training you have, what kind of skill set you have. It's not about our credentials. It's about our courage that the Holy Spirit can provide. And so they took knowledge of these men that they had been with Jesus. Notice verse number 14. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Isn't it amazing that they knew this man was healed? They knew that he was crippled. He was at the gate beautiful every day. And now he's here healed. And they couldn't say anything against it. It bothered them. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. And so they have this little meeting and they're upset. Notice verse uh, 16. Saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them. It's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. It was made known. And we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. The world, the devil, has constantly always been trying to silence men and women of faith. To not speak up for what we believe. To not make this message known. The devil hates what we're doing. Notice verse 18. They called them and they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And so they release their private meeting, they call them back in and say, all right, we've made a decision. Here's what's going to happen. You're not going to speak in Jesus' name anymore. That's what we've decided. And I love their response in verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, hey, whether it be right in in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He said, hey, it doesn't matter what you say. There's a fire burning inside of us, and we can't help but make the message known. We can't help but preach the name of Jesus. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We're going to keep on making this message known. It doesn't matter what you say. This is the calling which we have. We've got to make this message known. There was a fire burning deep inside them. I love what Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I couldn't stay. He said, I tried not to share the gospel message. I, I, I tried not to talk about God, but I just couldn't do it. It was like a fire burning deep within us and I'm praying. It's my prayer that we would leave this place with a fire burning deep within us that we just can't help but go out and go to a fast food restaurant and give someone an invitation. Hey, we just can't get help but go to a hotel and say, hey, I, I've got to tell you something. Hey, that we just can't help but see the homeless walking by and say, hey, can I help you? Can I show love to you? That we just can't help but go into our cities and our communities and make the gospel message known. We just can't help it. There's a fire burning deep within us. So Peter and John, they say, hey, sorry, I hate to break it to you, but we're going to keep on going. 
keep on making this message known. John Bunyan, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. He had a blind son. He had a wife that was on her own. And they, they told him that they would release him from prison if he simply would stop preaching the gospel. And John Bunyan said this, If you let me out of prison today, I will preach again tomorrow. By the grace of God, if I lie in the jail till moss grows on my eyelids, I will never conceal the truth which God has taught me. I will stop at nothing to make it known. And I want to close with what happens next in the story because I believe it's key to the whole thing. And so Peter and John, they go back to the church and they rejoice and uh, they pray. And it's a beautiful, wonderful prayer. They come together and they pray with one accord. And, and I think there's something so interesting in their prayer that I think that, that we have to understand tonight. In verse number 29, it says this. This is right in the middle of their prayer. And now, Lord... Behold their threatenings. God, you know what they're saying. They're saying we can't speak about the name of Jesus. They're saying we can't make it known. And watch this. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And I think it's so fascinating that they didn't ask God to change their situation. They asked God to give them courage in the midst of their situation. And so often we pray differently. We say, God, make my situation better. God, take, take away my pain. God, take away the difficulty. But instead of asking God to make things better, how about we ask God to make us bolder? How about we ask God to, to give us courage in our situation and say, God, give me the courage and the boldness and the confidence to go and to make this message known. They said, God, we need this boldness. We need this courage that only you can give. The Bible says this in Ephesians 6, 19. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. To open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And so tonight we have to recognize that pain is often our greatest platform. That our mission is to magnify his message and it's not about our credentials, it's about our courage. And tonight I believe that our calling is clear. We must leave this place with this kind of confidence and this same prayer in our hearts that, God, would you give us the boldness to leave here and to make this message known. Would you stand with me tonight? It's my prayer that we would leave this place with a spirit of confidence that no matter what we're facing, we leave this place with a renewed boldness and a renewed, renewed courage to say, God, I don't know what this year holds in 2019, but I know this, with your help, with the filling of your spirit, God, I wanna make this message known. I wanna reach my neighborhood. I wanna reach my family. I don't wanna be content to just keep this light uh, hidden. I've gotta make this message known. I've gotta tell the world that there is a life-giving and a life-changing message of Jesus, and I cannot afford to keep it to myself. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.